Welcome to the Advisor Hustle Podcast, where you'll learn the secrets of success, how to continuously win new business, and build client loyalty. Hear interviews from the best in the business on what it takes to get to the top. And now, here's your host, Jared Heiner. Welcome to episode number one of the Advisor Hustle Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Heiner, founder of Wise Road Recruiting. Let me ask you a question. What do you think of when you think of millennials? The Tide Pod Challenge, entitlement, job hoppers, expecting management positions from the start? What about hardworking? Know what they want and will do what it takes to find it. Millennials are now the biggest population in the workforce and there are a lot of misconceptions out there about them. Why don't they want to get into certain fields? Why are there these misconceptions? I decided to go right to the source. My guest today is Hillary Heiner, a senior account manager for a large insurance company. Now, in full disclosure, Hillary is my little sister, but she's also the millennialist person I know, and I mean that in a very good way. As I've seen her grow and I've seen her career unfold, I've seen her work ethic and dedication come through, and I knew she was a great person to have this discussion with. Hillary, thank you very much for being my first guest. How are you today? Doing pretty good, thanks, and thank you for the wonderful intro. I feel so <laughs> so touched. Well, of course, I meant every word of it. I mean, obviously, we grew up together, but I think you're what, uh, 10, is it 10 years? 10 11 or 11? Years. 11 years, yep. okay, 11 years younger. All right. Well, I mean, it's almost a different generation. And now I'm calling, you're currently in the Denver area, is that right? Yep. Excellent. Beautiful area. I love it out there. All right. To get us started, Hillary, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, what you went into in college, and ultimately, what got you into the insurance industry? Yeah. You know, it, it's funny. I was having this conversation with a friend recently about how I, I actually ended up on this path because... When I started college, I started as a photography major, and then I switched to political science for about two minutes, and eventually ended up uh, going into sociology. Um, I know that sociology does get a bad rap, but there's, there was a message to my madness at the time. Um, I had done a few internships um, with the Department of Education and um, doing research, and ultimately that was going to be my goal was to long-term be associated with some of those projects. But those kind of jobs are very hard to find long-term. A lot of them are, are just project specific and they, they don't really give you any sort of longevity or healthcare. Um, so after I, I graduated, I had a mutual friend that had a, a job doing uh, health insurance for a company in Salt Lake or South Jordan and made pretty good money. So I figured why not? And that sort of was my stepping stone into the insurance industry. Got it. Okay. And how long have you been in the insurance industry now? Five years. Five years. Okay. Excellent. Yep. So right away you jump into an industry that I think probably isn't everybody's first choice right out of college, but what are you thinking longer term? Does sociology come back up? Or are there other things you want to pursue? I, you know, I think I've been, I've made some good choices as far as where I'm at or, or what sort of facet within the insurance industry that I found myself in. Mm. I think this is going to be my long-term industry. Okay. I don't know if I want to stay in this particular type of position um, forever. I, I do have other interests in pursuing possibly risk management designation okay. and then seeing what sort of opportunities unfold going down that path. Right. But uh, overall, I think it's been a, a solid choice for me. 
I love to hear that. You know, it's great that you've got this new position with this new company in a new area. My hat goes off to you, really. Let's dive into really what we came here to talk about today, the millennial mindset. Now, I don't feel like I'm so far removed that I can't understand or relate to millennials. Um, Obviously, I came from a generation where, you know, I didn't grow up with social media. The internet was just coming around. You know, we had Net Zero and the AOL CDs coming daily, it felt like, right? But obviously, with technology, you adapt, you learn things. So let me ask you this. Why do you feel like millennials get a bad rap? I, I think that there's a lot of reasons, but ultimately, I think it's just misinformation. I think, truthfully, we were set up in a system that was flawed, and I think technology had a lot to do with it. Um, technology has really kind of been the downfall of my generation because we grew up with it around from the very beginning, outside of just the TV. I mean, I remember using computers or having the internet around from, I think I had my first email address when I was like eight years old, for whatever wow. reason. And so I don't think there was a lot of hands-on type tribal knowledge happening as in previous generations. And so I think that a, a millennial, I don't know how to sew a button. I don't know how to do this or this. Well, <laughs> our, we didn't go ask someone. We went on the internet to find it. So I think that that sort of a response to that view of the world is not viewed well or kindly by say the boomer generation who was hardworking and had to do everything by and for themselves and figure it out. Um, So, and the, the misinformation of you just want a participation trophy, you special little snowflake. (laughs) (laughs) Right. The snowflakes in the cry closets with the participation trophies, eating Tide Pods. It's tough to paint any generation with one general stroke of the brush, I certainly don't think we'd do that with the boomers or Gen Xers. It seems a little disingenuous. I would agree. Mm. Well, let me ask you this. Do you feel like any of these stereotypes are manifested in the workplace or even, say, the job interview process? Absolutely. Tell me a little bit more about that, because I've seen it a lot in my industry in wealth management as well. The feedback that I'll usually get is they want to be a manager in six months or they want a six-figure base. They want to work from home right away. It's not always feasible. So I'm curious to hear what you've encountered. For me, I that's one thing that I've always encountered, usually if I've gotten a job or after I've interviewed, is the very first question is, how old are you? Um, when someone sees my resume and the type of positions that I've held at this age, it's a, it's a bit further ahead than they would anticipate. And so right. when I walk in with my round cherubic face and bright eyes, <laughs> um, they have a hard time initially. They're a bit cold to begin with until I, I start speaking or until they start asking me questions and mm. realize, okay, maybe there there is something here. And then I feel from the get-go, I always sort of have to prove myself. Um, and, and that's Got been it. sort of a challenge, just to not have that inherent trust that, yes, I'm in intelligent individual. I know what I'm doing. I can handle my workload. So it's, that's definitely been a challenge from in in the professional sphere, in the corporate sphere for about the last three years. Interesting. So the fact that you're well-adjusted with some experience, 
you haven't been a barista for the last 10 years eating Tide Pods. I know I'm, I'm killing that Tide Pods thing, but it's so hilarious. But I'm sure it doesn't help that you look five years younger than you actually are. So it sounds like there's a little bit of a hurdle right from the get-go. You have to build that trust. Who do you notice this from the most? Definitely the boomer generation. I, I struggled with that, particularly in, in my job now. I uh, And I think what it is also is that, that in this particular industry, that's been driven by this generation for such a long time and they're starting to retire and no one's there to, no one has an interest to go into my industry. That's the struggle that we're facing now. I actually am going Monday to go speak to a group of college kids about why you should get into insurance. But um, with these, the boomer generation, I'm oftentimes the same age as their children. And to them, they, they see me as a spunky little kid as their child's playmate or something. They don't take me seriously as an adult because in their eyes, I am like a child or their child to them. That actually makes a lot of sense. And, and if you think about it, I think one reason the millennials have got this reputation that they have, call it entitlement or whatever you want to call it, is that their parents gave them everything they wanted. I think that's one of the perceptions. And now they're surprised when there is a sense of entitlement because they gave them everything they wanted, right? So I think you're right. There's some there's something there. I don't know, disparity or whatever it is. There needs to be a better relatability from boomers, Gen Xers to millennials. And I don't think it's that hard. Really, I don't. But it, it, we need to do better. Now, let me ask you this, because you kind of alluded to it earlier that you're going to talk to some college kids about why they should get into insurance. I know in my industry, we have a hard time attracting millennials, but more specifically, female millennials. There's a real lack of gender diversity and also ethnic diversity uh, in our industry. So why do you think we're having a hard time attracting female candidates to our industries, and what can we do about it? That's a good question. I, I think... I honestly think that a lot of it is they don't know how to get there. They don't know what the process is. And with women, I I just think it's underrepresented. You know, representation is everything. So if you're at a a career fair or recruiting, or if you have someone come in and you're interviewing, if they see that it's the majority male and the female roles are all admin type, how is that going to reflect on you? Or how is that going to make you feel about entering that company? Are you going to feel special or are you going to feel like you're isolated? So I think representation is a huge part of that. And <laughs> it's it's kind of a double-edged sword in that way. If you don't have a lot of women, you're trying to recruit more women or younger people into the workforce. How do you effectively start doing that? Right. And without representation, I think it would be extremely difficult. I know I always felt comfortable having someone my age or whatever at a job fair. I think the same thing would go for uh, female candidates. It's probably easier to talk to a female than go over to talk to four older guys about a position in insurance or wealth management. So that makes a lot of sense. It sounds like what you're saying is we need to start earlier. We need to start in college, but maybe even high school. I mean, in high school, even the basics of finance really aren't being taught. Balancing a checkbook, even, you know, people don't balance checkbooks anymore, but those principles are absolutely key. A mortgage, debt, things like that. We really need to start a little bit earlier. Is that what you're saying? I I definitely think so. Even I I graduated college five years ago, and even at that point, I didn't really have a whole lot of information. I mean, we had a, a resource website, but we didn't have anyone physically coming in and talking to us about 
any kind of options outside of uh, just a sociologist or a research type position. I had no idea. And I mm. truly fell into this because I, our mother is in this industry. So I had an idea of what the steps were, or what the path was, and kind of, I had ins- insider information, if you will. But I definitely think starting at a younger age is so important. And especially in building our future workforce as the boomers age out, it is so important to get that information out early so people are educated on what these options are. You know what, that's actually an excellent point. And to go along with that, I think there's this misperception that you graduate college, you automatically deserve a certain amount of money, a certain level of opportunities. There's not this discussion around, you're going to have to hustle for a while, you're going to have to grind, you're going to have to start at the very bottom and work your way up. You know what I mean? I, I would. I think that's a, a great point, and I, I would agree with that. I mean, at college is nothing more than, and I hate to, you know, I, I hate to speak ne- negatively against it because I, I too went to university, but I, I think it's just glorified high school almost. I mean, you're, you're, you're going to school. Yes, you're doing, you're studying, but you're not. Really, I mean, a lot of kids are are not really t- understanding that this isn't how the world is going to be. This is a a four, five, six year, however many years until you have to go out there, and you have to start from the very bottom in whatever field. And there's this this preconceived notion that, well, when I get this piece of paper, I'm going to go out and immediately make seventy thousand dollars a year. Well, no, that's that's not true in all of the senses in in some particular fields where it's a very specified field where the five six year degree absolutely and that's warranted because it's so intricate and so difficult that yeah there are only a few people that are able to or capable of doing these jobs but otherwise what does that piece of paper do for you okay i studied sociology great now what $70,000, please. (laughs) Yeah, it really doesn't work that way. You know, I want to consider myself in touch, but I had a little bit of that coming out of college as well. I graduated with dual bachelor's of science degrees in finance and economics. I thought I was set, but I had a rude awakening making $17 an hour giving stock quotes and helping people reset their passwords. I really didn't understand what opportunities were out there and really what long term the path looked like that I was on. So it took a lot of overtime, a lot of discussion about what opportunities exist within the industry and where I was headed. You got to do that and really a matter of paying your dues. I think all of that really, again, paying your dues, understanding what opportunities exist and how you get there are really, really important. Let me jump into a more specific topic. And one thing I've noticed is millennials really have transformed the workplace, I think, in a lot of ways. Specifically, if you look at companies started by millennials, Twitter, a lot of the tech companies, there tends to be a huge focus on culture, on team unity, schedule flexibility, lunches, yoga classes. I mean, really the whole nine yards when it comes to benefits. I think that for a lot of companies in certain industries that historically haven't had any of that, it can be very difficult to adopt. And a lot of millennials or people in general will come in thinking, okay, well, why don't you do this? Can we have more schedule flexibility? culture, unity, things like that, companies that are adopting it are standing out more and more. So in your opinion, what are two to three things that make a company stand out? Hmm. I, for me, um, community involvement, I, I want to be a part of a company that really 
takes part in and has a hand in and, and uh, contributes back. And on top of that, I also want to see um, people that are you can you can kind of tell when you walk into a situation if people are happy to be there or how the company morale seems. And I've I've been into a couple of different interviews where people are more or less like go leave while you can or where you can tell that they're actually happy to meet you or excited to have someone else come on to be a part of the quote unquote family. And I mean, that's, I, I wish it was more, more like that. Uh, but I, I, do, I would definitely say those are my probably two biggest ones, morale and what is the company or how is this company contributing to its community. Yeah, I think giving back is so critical nowadays. People really want to be part of something bigger, especially this generation. I've seen a lot of companies in my industry volunteer for Habitat for Humanity or take musical instruments to an elementary school, the food bank, a lot of things. I think you have to take advantage of those opportunities. I think your take on morale is really interesting. I'm a big proponent on involving your team in the interview process, but if your people are going in and saying, get out while you can you might want to do a better job vetting who you're sending in there because that really reflects bad on you as a leader and and more so on your company. Now, let me ask you this, Hillary. One thing I talk to a lot of millennials about and some of the feedback I get with the companies is the importance of work-life balance. So tell me for you, how important is work-life balance? It is absolutely of utmost importance. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, well, tell me a little bit more about it. Like, What does work-life balance mean to you? It means that I and with my, I, I have to take my work home sometimes. It's the nature of the beast, but it's I have a hard stopping time, and I can't do any more for that evening. To be able to go home and actively do my enriching activities, to read, to be able to have a social life, to be able to spend time alone, and really just recharge my batteries to continue to strive for greatness the next week at work or or the next day at work. It's it's having a life. It's not letting my job control every aspect and facet of my life. I am a person. I am not a job. Wow. That's actually a really great line. I'm a person. I'm not a job. I love it. You know, I feel like in our industries, it's become such a talking point because really they're historically jobs that you do take home with you. Sometimes nights, weekends, and that's just how it's always been. But with a lot of new blood coming into the workforce that prioritizes work-life balance, I believe companies are going to have to adapt or they'll fall behind. They'll lose the top talent to others that have those same values and that are willing to offer more of a work-life balance. Now, let me stick on this just for a second. I don't think it's a secret that our industry's wealth management and insurance, we're having a hard time attracting millennials. So why do you think that is and what do we need to do better? I think they're stuck in this archaic way of running a business or archaic way of viewing employees. I, I think of it as like a 1960s style company where you have to wear the high heels and the hose and the, the business suits every single day. And I just don't think anymore um, that that's sustainable. People are, have a, a number of different things going on in their lives as as humans. And so a professional type company or in a company, you've got to have some sort of give. You've got to let people, you know, want wear what they can or or dress dress how they want. And with the scheduling, I I think that people, I think people my age do sort of expect 
more flexibility. I don't think that's realistic from our end. I will say that because I've had to work to be able to have the opportunity that I have to work from home or to take the time off that I have or to do these other things. But I, I, I just, I have to be to work every day. I don't get to just sit at home all day. And so I think it's, it's two-sided. I think that companies need to understand that the times are changing and, and things are a lot more relaxed. It's not quite as formal stuffy. I mean, it, it is in certain spheres. I get the professionalism with the, the suit and tie is it's, that's not going to ever die, but we've got such a diverse populace workforce mindset that that needs to change. But I also think that my generation needs to realize that there are some things that are going to always stay the same and going to work and having to find or make your own work-life balance is your responsibility. Yeah. You know what, Hillary, that's actually a really good point. And honestly, I think it gets lost a lot of times like you said, you create your own work-life balance, right? Work and life doesn't always balance in a perfect fashion. I think it's important to prioritize. And to piggyback on that, the concept of having to pay your dues, like a lot of kids coming into the workplace are grossly underprepared for what it is, you know, and, and I'm going to jump on my soapbox for a minute, so bear with me. But I, honestly, I blame the colleges for creating this faux sense of entitlement and this quote unquote snowflake culture. You know what I mean? It's not every college, but I think they're doing a huge disservice to their students, not letting them experience the the failures, the disappointments in daily life. You know, you're, you're going to be stressed. You're going to hate it at times. You know, companies don't have cry rooms. I think you just have to suck it up and you have to find your own ways to to deal with it. And part of that is work-life balance, right? You, you're going to have to hustle, grind for a while, and eventually you'll be more successful. You'll find that work-life balance, that flexibility that you're looking for. Now, let me jump into something a little bit different. I read a statistic recently that 50% of job seekers actually found their most recent position online or through social media. And I wanted to ask you, what do you feel like companies need to do to attract more millennials, whether it be a, a social media strategy, a culture or perception strategy going into college? I mean, things like that. But purely from a perspective of how do we recruit these people better, what do they need to do? I think just that. I think they need to be able to target where or what sites or um, what these people are, are interested in or where they're where they spend their most time. So it'd be that Facebook, be that even Reddit or something like that. Figuring out which platform is going to be the most effective to start planting those seeds, but also building, I guess, more of a presence. And that goes back into building more presence in the community, making a face for the company that actually shows people of all ages, again, representation. Um, as far as really garnering their attention. We, I, we have this discussion too, because in, in my industry, there was a, we had a conference earlier this year, insurance is just not sexy. It's not something that someone goes, you know, I think I'm going to be an insurance agent when I grow up. Like said, no one ever. So I, I think they need to find a way to, to really, I don't know. That's, that's it's a like almost question. revamp their image. Yeah. Right. I think so. You know what? That's a million-dollar business idea in and of itself. How can we make insurance and wealth management sexy? I mean, 
coming in, I, I didn't think it was the sexiest thing, but now I've been doing it 12 years. I think it's very sexy. I mean, there's so much you can do. It pays well. It's a great way to make a living. More importantly, you get to help people. And I think that's what's really sexy about it. You get to help people with some of the most fundamental things and important things in their life, right? Their money, their well-being, taking care of their family. That's really sexy. So we do need to figure out a way to do that. Now, I have one final question for you. Obviously, you know my background as, a, as an advisor, and now that I recruit them, I talk to them every day. And one thing we're going to run into is this huge transfer of wealth over the next few years to few decades. And a lot of the millennials and younger are going to be receiving this money. So first off, let's say you're going to inherit a million dollars, and you know what you know right now of financial advisors, money management. What's your first thought? Help. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that's just the thing, because as advisors, we built long-term relationships with these people. And obviously, we want to continue managing the money, but also develop the relationships with the heirs, the kids, whoever it is. And a lot of times, there's going to be maybe some intimidation on behalf of the kids. It's like, hey, I'm talking to the financial advisor. My biggest thing is we need to involve them early. But how do we connect with them? They don't like to answer the phone. Is it text? Do we need our very own app for that? What do you think? I, well, I think that an app would be the best way to. It, it's a, a more simplified version, or it, it asks it asks the questions appropriately, so it's not quite as intimidating. The way you phrase something, I think, is really truly key to if you're going to be successful or intimidated, and if you have something that's, I hate to say this, but dumbed down or simplified, then it makes it less intimidating. It makes you want to be more involved because you're actively understanding what's going on. Um, for me personally, I, I don't like the idea of, I'm very hands-on myself. I don't like the idea of an app. It, the security issues there worry me, but I would definitely do my research online first before I sought out the help of a um, wealth advisor. Got it. Okay, that is actually some very great insight. Listen, I really appreciate you coming on here today. Really means a lot to me, and I have learned so much about you, but really about uh, more about millennials, and I think anyone that listens to this will also pick up some really good tidbits. So thank you again, Hillary. Love you. Take care. Have to oblige. Love you too, brother.